Uh, today, um, I, I've known Rachel for a few years now um, in the district, and when I found out that she was going full-time into ministry on the field, um, was it last year that they finally approved you, the, the end of last year? June, okay, June, June, you were commissioned, okay. When I found that out, um, we touched base, I don't even remember when, but I asked her if she could come and she could share with us. She is very close to being at 100% funded to go onto the field in Honduras, and she's going to share that with you today. But I want you to just enjoy this video that we're going to play for you, and then Rachel's going to come up and she's going to speak, and, um, and we'll move on from there. Hi, my name is Rachel Mullins and I am a missionary to Honduras. I have grown up as a pastor's kid and at the age of seven, after a missionary spoke at my church, I told my parents that I wanted to be a missionary. About two weeks before I turned 19, I moved to Guadalajara, Mexico and served as a student missionary. After that, I came home and finished college and pursued my calling to missions. I served in Guanajuato, Mexico for two years working with the local church in children's ministry. God kind of rocked my world and had me switch fields and move to Honduras. Honduras is one of the poorest countries in Central America. In that, we see lots of poverty amongst children. There's many children that live in single-parent homes or have absolutely no protection from their families whatsoever. Here in America, children are, are very important to us we see a lot of emphasis put on kids. In most of Latin America, children have absolutely no value. I believe that the church needs to have a strong foundation that can effectively reach and disciple children for Jesus. My desire is to work closely with the local church, with the national church, children's church leaders, Sunday school leaders, in helping to train and to disciple them so that that church can have a strong foundation in children's ministry. And then from there, we're going to take it out to the streets, to their communities, where these people are now going to disciple and to train children and to reach them for Jesus. Children are so important. And when we start with children, God opens doors to be able to minister to mothers and to fathers, to grandparents, to aunts and uncles. And we see whole families come to Jesus because of one child. That was always my main focus, kids. I wasn't comfortable around adults in doing ministry and teaching them. And I was given the opportunity in Mexico to teach a workshop for about seven weeks with adults and to help enable them to better reach the children in their church and their communities. And through that, I felt like God opened a door, a new door of ministry for me, and that there was something else that I had to offer, that it didn't just have to be working solely with children but also working with adults and teachers so that they can then go out and work with children as well. Feel free to connect with me anytime. I would love to hear from you, and thank you again for your support in helping me to get to Honduras. Thank you. Good morning. Um, let's just bow our heads, and we'll open in a word of prayer. God, I just thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning and to worship together with, with your body, God. Lord, I pray that, uh, that you would continue to just pour out your presence in this service. God, that you would speak to our hearts through your message and, and through what you have for each one of us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Good morning. It is so good to be here with you guys this morning. Uh, I'm excited to, to be able to share with you about what God has called me to. And, you know, one of the things that I like to communicate is that because I'm here this morning and sharing, it means you guys get to be a part of what God is going to do in Honduras. And for me, that is just so exciting. It's not just me going, but you get to go as well. Um, so as you, sh as you saw in my video, don't you love technology? Shooting that video, it did not go anything as good as it looked there. And I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for the people who shot it and edited it. Um, but I've grown up in the church. My parents are pastors in Maine. Um, I've felt called to missions from a very young age. I started pursuing that at the age of 14 as I went on short-term missions trips. And also after uh, graduating from high school, I became part of a student missions program. And uh, this past December, I came home from my missionary associate term where I served in Guanajuato, Mexico. And I was there for about two years. And my focus has been children's ministry. That's my heart and my, de my desire. I love working with kids. Uh, and... So I went to, to Guanajuato, and I had all of these great expectations, these great plans, ideas of what ministry was going to look like. And I quickly learned that ministry looked absolutely nothing like that. Um, I, I hit a point last summer where I actually... I started just kind of this conversation with God, with, God, what am I doing here? Uh, I'm like, I, am I doing ministry? I don't feel like, like I've done anything. Uh, during my time there, I worked in two different churches. I was involved in their children's church. And so that's what I was doing. I was teaching children's church. And I was like, I didn't become a missionary to go teach children's church. I could do that anywhere. And uh, I just kind of started this conversation with him, and I was like, you know, it, is Mexico where I'm supposed to be? Is Guanajuato where I'm supposed to be? And through, through the summer into the fall, I was just kind of battling that and, and talking that out with him. And I actually started the process to take a trip to Honduras. It's what they call an exploratory trip. I was going to go in. I have great missionary friends there. I was going to visit them, see what their ministry looked like, and see if I felt like maybe God was leading me in a different direction. And then a door of ministry opened up, and a pastor asked me to teach this workshop. And I was sitting in a meeting with him, and he, he asked me about doing the workshop. And so the good missionary that I was, you know, missionaries, we always say yes to the pastor and, and do whatever they ask. I was like, yeah, pastor, I can do that. And in my head, I'm thinking, Rachel, what are you thinking? You have absolutely no idea how to do that. You've never done it in your life. And so after I freaked out, I went home, freaked out, called my mom, I came up and I put the workshop together, and there were a couple of things that played into that. Number one, I had never done it before. I have a degree in children and family ministry, and, and so I know a lot about children's ministry. I've been involved in it for many years, um, but I'd never done it before. Secondly, it meant working with adults. That is not my comfort zone. It's not what I necessarily loved to do. 
And I was like, I don't even know if I'm going to like this. And on top of that, the pastor wanted it to be seven to eight weeks long, an hour and a half every week. And I was like, what do you do for that much time on children's ministry? So I started doing the workshop, and, and I broke down how I do children's ministry, how I do children's church, and took each element of that and basically taught it to them. And we did children's church every week together. And at the end of the, the time with them, these women were coming up to me thanking me for doing the workshop. And they said, you know, we've had so many different workshops, but they've all been more uh, theoretical on children's ministry. And they said, this is the first time that somebody has actually brought these ideas, these uh, techniques to life and put them in our hands and made it more hands-on. And I felt like in, in that time and, and doing that workshop that God was just opening another door of ministry for me. Up until that point, my focus had mainly been solely children's ministry, whether that's children's evangelism or children's church. And I hadn't ever thought about teaching others to do children's ministry. And so in that, I felt like he was opening that door and saying, hey, look, you've got so much more that you can offer and you can help others become equipped to do what you do. So through that, I just felt like God confirmed with me, hey, this is what you're supposed to be doing. This is where you're supposed to be in Mexico, in Guanajuato, working alongside of these people. And I was like, okay, it's, it's settled. And so I came home and I was going through the process for full appointment and I had to go out to Springfield in March for a week of candidate orientation and it was a week of interviews and meetings. And my first interview was with my regional director. He's in charge of all the missionaries in Latin America, Caribbean. And I went in and I was very open and honest with him about how my time went, my struggles, my, the time that I went through of not knowing if I was supposed to be there or not, uh, but confirmed and told him, I was like, you know, I really feel like God confirmed with me, this is where I'm supposed to be, this is who I'm supposed to be working with. And I thought it went really well. I left his office feeling good. And later on in the day, I got a call from his office saying he wanted to meet with me again. And I was with some friends, and I was like, I feel like I'm getting called back to the principal's office here. What did I do? And so the following day, I, I had a, a meeting with him. He said he only needed pen, 10 minutes. And I go in and we sit down and he starts talking and he's like, so what do you think about Honduras? And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking and I'm like, I don't think about Honduras. I didn't say that, but this is like my thought process going on, right? And I'm like, you know, I have really great friends there, but other than that, and I was just like, what do you mean? And he proceeds to tell me that he's thinking about having me go to Honduras instead of back to Mexico. And his reasoning is that the, the Assemblies of God World Missions has become very focused on new missionaries being well-mentored in their first time out on the field. And if you've gone out as a missionary associate, the hope would be that that happens during that time. And it just didn't happen the way that they would have liked to see it happen. And on top of that, Mexico is one of the harder 
places um, in Latin America for missionaries, and particularly the part of Mexico that I was in. Um, we have about 25 different missionary units on the field in Mexico, but because of how big the country is, they're very spread out. And so team doesn't really happen at this point until more missionaries get into Mexico. And so that wasn't a possibility. And the part of Mexico that I was in is very spiritually dark. And ministry in general is very difficult, even for the national pastors. And so just with all of this on top, building up, he was feeling like Honduras was a better move for me. And in, in that moment, I just felt my entire world cave in. Uh, I love Mexico. I have almost five years that I've been down there. I love the culture. I love the people. I love the food. Um, just everything about it. And when I left, I didn't say goodbye. I said, see you later. I left more than half of my stuff down there because I was going back. And I was feeling like Dave was waiting for a yes or no answer from me. And I was like, well, I can't say yes and I can't say no. I don't, I don't know. And he said, take the day, think about it. I'll catch up with you this evening at the prayer service. And in, in my mind, I'm thinking, when should I pray and think about this? And what meeting should I skip or just not show up so that I can go pray and think about this? And it was really neat to see how, how God worked out that day. He had known what was going to happen, and he had already planned out my day for it. My next meeting was with a, uh, a lady who, she's a counselor, that's what she does. And sitting in on the meeting was another gentleman who's a retired counselor. And so when I got into the meeting with them, I thought I was doing a really good job of holding myself together, other than the, the bloodshot eyes. And she starts talking and she stops and she's like, Rachel, are you okay? And the, the tears just broke loose again. And I just had the opportunity to, to process what had happened. And she cut our meeting short, sent me to the chapel to go pray, uh, and to have time to think about it. And then later on in the day, I actually ran into another gentleman who also is a counselor and was able to talk to him. And he knew about what was going on. And he said, you know, Rachel, leadership's looking to see how willing you are to go wherever the call may be, wherever the need may be. And he said, this could make or break your time here with the Assemblies of God World Missions. And I said, okay. And I left and went to the prayer meeting that evening. And it's this big room full of tables and chairs. And I walked in with a friend. And Dave and his wife, Carol, were already there. And they were talking to some people. And I avoided them. I did not make eye contact. I did not go near them. I wasn't ready. And we went and we sat down at a table. And we're talking to some, another missionary couple. And the next thing I know, here come Dave and Carol up behind me. They come and they sit down at my table. And in my head, I go, really, God? There's so many empty chairs in this place. They couldn't have sat at another table. You couldn't have given me just another hour. And we, we had our prayer service, and I was a mess the entire time. And 
afterwards, Dave comes up to me and, and he wants his answer. And uh, he originally he had talked about having me serve longer as a missionary associate. And so we kind of cleared that up and he said I, that he was going to have me move forward and with full appointment, which meant the following day I had an interview with 15 people. And he said, you know, going into your interview, if we have to leave it for your assignment to de- be determined, we can do that. And I was like, okay. And he goes, if I need to give the Holy Spirit more time to work on you, I can do that. <laughs> and I just simply looked at him and, and said yes. And the next day I found out in my interview that a couple of years ago, Dave was in a, uh, a meeting with the general superintendent of the Assemblies of God of Honduras. And that during that meeting, this gentleman was begging him in tears to send somebody to his country to work with children. And Dave looked at me and he said, you are an answer to his prayers. And, you know, that's something pretty powerful to be told, that you're, you're an answer to somebody's prayers. Um, I don't necessarily know that I feel equipped to be the answer to somebody's prayers, um, but, but I'm very thankful that, that God chose me. And I'm excited to, to see what's going to happen in Honduras. And so as this change took place, you know, I was ready to itinerate for Mexico. I had already been doing that. I had already shared at a couple of churches about Mexico, and now I'm thinking, okay, I've got to totally switch everything here, and I know nothing about Honduras. I had been there once back in 2004 on a short-term trip. And so I started taking time and uh, researching Honduras. Thank God for the internet. And as I, as I started looking things up and, and looking at the country, um, I saw this need there. Honduras is, is the second largest country in Central America, which isn't saying a lot because Honduras isn't very big. And in that, it's the second poorest country. And so with the poverty, kids are the ones who are affected the most at this point. There's lots of kids that are living in dumps. Um, there's lots of kids that live on the streets. If they're with family, a lot of times they're with extended family. If they live with a parent, it's usually one or the other. Very few are actually living with both mom and dad. And one of the statistics that I read was that less than 17% of the child population of Honduras ever makes it past their fifth birthday because of this poverty. And then on top of that, you have the gang, MS-13, which has moved into Honduras. And the police and the government and the army have tried to, to take control of it, but it's just, it, it hasn't worked out. And this is a gang that, yeah, they're involved in drugs, they're involved in, in sex trafficking and things like that, but they are just purely violent gangs. And so what you see happening is there's these kids out on the street that, you know, they're searching for a place to call home. They're searching for somebody who's going to take care of them, to feed them, to clothe them, to love them. And this gang 
is picking them up. And they're taking them in. They're providing them a place to live. They're clothing them. They're feeding them. They're loving them. But they're raising up new gang members. And as I started to to read this and, and to see all of this happening, my thought became, God, how cool would it be to see this country that's poverty stricken, it's violent, it's been named the murder capital of the world, do a complete 180. Because these kids and these youth that are searching for acceptance, they're searching for love, they find Jesus. And so then it became, okay, well, how do you do do that? How do you change a country? I'm just one person. And I started to reflect on the, the workshop that I did. And, and one of the sad things in, in Latin America is that kids don't have a lot of value in the home. They, they're used to, to go out and work and bring home money. But that's it. There, there's not a whole lot of value put into them. And a sad part is that that carries over into the church culture and that the church isn't putting a lot of value or emphasis in children's ministry either. And, and they're saying, well, why? Why do it? They don't tithe. They don't give offerings. They're not giving back anything to the church. And so there's a, there's a cultural attitude that needs to be changed. And so my, my heart and my desire is to go in and to work alongside of these national pastors that are in Honduras. They have churches. They have a strong national church going. And to go in and to help develop and cultivate children's ministry by training and discipling leaders. I can go out and I can do children's evangelism. Kids can get saved. But if there's no church to take them to after where they can become discipled, all of this becomes in vain. And so my goal is to start with getting the church to a place where they can take those kids and they can disciple them. And then that church can go out into their communities. They know their communities way better than I do. They know the needs, they know their culture, they know their language, and they can begin to reach their communities. And they can bring those kids in for discipleship. So that's my plan. That's, that's what I feel God is calling me to do. Um, along with that, I'm going to be working alongside of another missionary couple who is planting churches among the unreached people groups of Honduras. And if you're unfamiliar with the term unreached people group, it means that they have never heard the name of Jesus, and they have no opportunity to hear it currently. And so the, this couple is planting churches among these, these people groups. And so I get to work alongside of them as well in the church plants. And right from the beginning, we get to see children's ministry happening and developing there as well. So I'm excited to see what God's going to do. I'm excited for you guys to be a part of it. Out in the lobby, I have a table there's prayer cards. Please, 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 please take a prayer card. Put it in your Bible. Put it on your fridge. Put it on your mirror, wherever. You will remember to pray. Um, Pray for me 
as I'm continuing to prepare for, uh, for Honduras and, and the ministry there, pray for Honduras, that, that God would begin to open hearts and that he would begin to, to till that soil there. And pray for our missionary team. We have a very uh, big team of missionaries that are getting ready to go into Honduras. It's the first time so many missionaries will be there. Um, but the exciting part is that we all have different focuses of ministry. Um, some people are children's ministry. Some people are women's ministry and discipleship. And we have a family that their ministry is to the gangs. And so we are just believing God for great things in Honduras. Um, and you guys get to be a part of that. How cool is that? This morning I want to share with you from Luke 15. Um, you guys are probably really familiar. It's the parables of, of the last sheep and the last coin and the last son. But I'm going to read from Luke 15. And I'm going to start in verse 4, and I'll skip around a little bit. But it says, What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine just persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost." Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Then he said, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeying to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living." And then verse 25 says, Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of, his servant, one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, These many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again, and was lost and is found." How many of you guys remember the game of hide-and-seek? I'm pretty sure, if not all of us, most of us have played it in our lives at some point. It's carried on through the generations, and every once in a while there might be a little twist that's put on the game, but the object of the game has remained the same, right? Somebody's picked to be it, and they start counting. Everybody runs and hides, and the person who's it starts counting. One, two three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, ready or not, here I come. And usually that's how it happened, right? We started out slow, and then we're like, okay, come on. 
Let's speed this up. And the excitement begins. Who's going to be the first person to be found? In, in Luke 15, Jesus tells us three parables. And in these three parables, there's three truths about evangelism. And, those, and there are three truths that we as individuals and as a church should be putting into practice every day. And they are that God is always searching, God is always saving, and God is always sending. You know, we all have our own story, our own history. I've shared a little bit of, of mine with you. And as we look at people throughout the world, we see bits and pieces of their stories. And in many cases, those stories and, and those lives have been marked by maybe poverty. They've been scarred by situations that they've gone through. But it hasn't changed the fact that people are continually coming to Jesus. Through all of that, all that has been going on, all the scars that have marked their lives, they continually are coming to Jesus because God is always searching. He searches for each one of us. His desire is to find us to have relationship with us. How many times in the game of hide and seek were you the person who was it? There's always that one person who finds the best hiding spot and you think you've looked everywhere for them and you can't find them anywhere. I don't know about you, but usually I gave up. I was like, okay, Pastor Mike, come out. I don't know where you are. Right? Because we're done. Like, come out wherever you are. Let's end this game. You know, the awesome thing is that God never gives up on us. He never ceases to search for each one of us. We may think that we can find the deepest, darkest place to hide away from God. But he continually, he can see us there because he's looking for us the deepest desire of the heart of God is that the lost would be found and freed and we see that in Luke 15 in these parables as as the man goes out and looks for his lost sheep and the woman looks for her lost coin you know I don't know about you I don't know a lot about shepherding but if I had a hundred sheep and one wandered off I'd probably think Sorry, buddy. I'm going to take care of my 99 over here that are healthy and make sure they're okay because that's my humanness. Or a coin. If you lose a penny, a nickel, a dime, are we going to tear our house apart looking for it? I'm probably not. But we see through these parables God's desire for the lost to be found. The Father who sat on the porch, sat out front looking for his son to come home. Luke 19.10 says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Which means that God is always saving. Amen? It doesn't just stop at, at searching for us, looking for us and finding us. 
but he's saving us. We see God's concern for the lost soul and his desire to see them saved. And when the lost are found, it says that there is much rejoicing in heaven. See that in verse 7 and verse 10. And to me, the thing that stuck out in this, it doesn't just say, just God rejoices over that lost soul. All of heaven rejoices. I can't even imagine how big of a party that must be because of all the souls that are already in heaven. In the parable of the lost sheep, we see God's concern for just one single sheep. Even though there are still 99 perfectly healthy sheep, he wants to find the lost one because the lost is the one that needs saving. And it's the same, that same is true with us as people, as humans. It's the lost soul that God is concerned with. He's the one that he's constantly pursuing. How many times have, have you lost something of importance? You know, for me, I, tend, I sometimes feel like I lose my passport. It's not very good as I travel. Um, but I always have a safe place that I put it. And then when I need it, I forget where that safe place is. And I have to think and think and think and think. And I'm like, oh my gosh, where was that safe place? And, and so what do we do when we lose things of importance? We tear our house apart. We search for it. And when we find it, we're like, okay, phew, I found it. And usually if that's for me and a passport situation, usually it's like the night before I have to leave. I'm like, oh, where's my passport? The Bible says that God's reaction is the same when a lost person is found and saved. All of heaven rejoices. But God's plan doesn't end at just salvation. He's not content just finding us and saving us. He has so much more planned for our lives. And salvation is just the tip of that iceberg. Which means that God is always sending. And maybe to you, that's a little scary to think of, that God is always sending and you're like... I'm, I'm not called to go into any other country. I can't handle a different culture. I can't handle different foods. That doesn't matter. God is always sending. He saved us with a purpose in mind. We are to know God and to make him known. And he wants to use each one of us. He wants us to participate. You know, how many of you guys like sports? Whether it's football, basketball, uh, hockey, whatever. Usually, on the t you have your first string players, right? That are always on the court, they're always on the field, they're always on the ice, whatever they're playing. And then you have your bench warmers. People who hardly ever see the game unless there's some kind of injury and it makes it to them that they get to play. God doesn't have bench warmers on his team. He hasn't called any of us to sit back on the sidelines and watch what is going on. He called us to participate, to be active members of that team. There's, there's a song by uh, Josh Wilson. Maybe you've heard it, maybe not. It's called I Refuse. And it's kind of funny because this was a song that... I had heard a lot, and then it was just like one day, 
the words started jumping out at me and, and speaking to me a little bit more. And it says, the lyrics say, sometimes I just want to close my eyes and act like everyone's all right when I know they're not. This world needs God, but it's easier to stand and watch. I could say a prayer and just move on like nothing's wrong, but I refuse. I can hear the least of these crying out so desperately, and I know we are the hands and feet of you, O God. So if you say move, it's time for me to follow through and do what I was made to do and show them who you are. Because I don't want to live like I don't care. I don't want to say another empty prayer. I refuse to sit around and wait for someone else to do what God has called me to do myself. I could choose not to move, but I refuse to stand and watch the weary and lost cry out for help. I refuse to turn my back and try and act like all is well. I refuse to stay unchanged, to wait another day, to doubt myself. I refuse to make one more excuse. And as, as these words began to speak to me, I, I said, you know, that's me. I don't want to make any more excuses. I don't want to be the one sitting back and watching somebody else do what I know God has called me to do. I don't want to sit back and just watch the world go by. I don't want to make excuses. We can make excuses. That's pretty easy. It comes pretty naturally to us. One of my favorite scriptures, and it has been for as long as I can remember, is Matthew 28, 18. And it's the Great Commission. And it says, Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Did you guys hear that? Jesus doesn't say, go make Christians. He said, go make disciples. I don't know about you, going out and making Christians, that can be pretty easy. Maybe not if you're not a very bold person in that sense, But essentially, making Christians is easy. Making disciples takes commitment and it takes work on our part. Leading somebody to Jesus, it doesn't stop there. We can't just lead them to Jesus and be like, okay, hope you make it. We have to disciple them to see them grow in their relationship with Jesus. And that's what we were called to do, to make disciples. And those disciples are going to go out and make more disciples. And they're going to make more disciples. God is sending each one of you, each one of us. And it doesn't matter your age, whether you're young or you're old. It doesn't matter your marital status. And it doesn't matter whether you believe you are prepared or not. You know, if, if I had to wait until I felt prepared for the mission field, I'm pretty sure I'd never make it. I'm pretty sure I would never feel prepared. I came up against things in Mexico that I was not prepared for, but it didn't matter. 
because as I, as I came up against those things, I remembered this quote that my dad always quoted from me. And I can't remember who the original person was, but the quote is that God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. And so that doesn't matter. He's the one who is going to prepare us. There are some people that are sent to other countries. Some people are sent to another state or another city. But each one of us is being sent daily to the people who are around us. The cities that we live in, our family members, our coworkers, our friends, our classmates, those are the people that we are daily being sent to. You know, God has, he saved us for a reason. He has a purpose and a plan for each one of our lives. And the church, this place, the body, the church, it wasn't created to be a freezer where Christians can be preserved. This place was created as a hospital where the sick and the broken can come through the doors and they can receive healing and restoration because here is where they find Jesus. Here is where they find Jesus. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes, bow your heads this morning. My question for you this morning is, are you ready to answer the call? And to, to ask yourself, God, am I ready? He's called each one of you to something. I don't know what that is, but you do. And to ask yourself to examine your heart, God, am I ready? Am I ready to answer the call, your call to do what you've called me to do? You know, right now, God is counting. One, two, three, four. And the Bible tells us that nobody knows the day or the hour that he will say, ready or not, here I come. And we need to be ready. There's a world out there that needs to be ready. Lord, I just thank you for, for this morning, God. I thank you for, for your people who are gathered here this morning. God, that we would answer your call. I know that you are calling each one of us to something different. You've placed a call on each one of our lives. Lord, I pray that you would prepare us for that call. God, that you would give us the boldness to step out and say, here I am, send me. That we wouldn't look back and, and make excuses of, of we don't have the money or, or we don't have the skill set or, or whatever that may be, God, but that we would just fully rely on you and say, God, here I am. Use all of me however you see fit. God, I pray this morning that, that you would instill boldness in us 
to go out and to reach people for you. And God, that we wouldn't just stop at, at sharing who you are and sharing your love with others, but that as we see people come to you and, and become saved, God, that we would walk alongside of them and begin to disciple them and see them grow in their relationship with you. God, this morning, if, if there are people here who are feeling weak, like they just don't have the strength to continue on, the strength to, to keep on serving and, and feel like it's time to, to give up. God, that today they would be filled with a new strength and that it would be your strength to go out and to keep on serving you, to keep reaching people for you. God, I thank you for this church, God. I thank you for, for what they are doing in their community, God. I pray that you would be, continue to open doors for them and that you would continue to bless the church to be able to reach this community. God, that your love would just emanate from this place. That people would feel loved as they walk in these doors, as they come to events, whatever it may be, however the church is serving, God, that they would feel your love and that that would draw them in. Lord, I pray for the leadership team here. God, for Pastor Mike. I pray that you would just give them strength, God. I pray that you would give them fresh and new ideas to reach out. And God, that you would begin to move in a mighty way. And that we would see awesome things happen here in Virgins. Lord, I'm excited about it. I'm excited to see what you are going to do through this church. And I pray that you would just continue to raise up your people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.